Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Hola! Good talk. I don't know why we're singing it today. Hello! I'm James Phelps and I'm Oliver Phelps and guys welcome to the normal not normal podcast and in this series we're talking to some of our favorite people to find out what normal means and really does normal even exist yes and we are so excited to be talking today to April Pearson who played Michelle in E4's teen drama Skins and then she went on to make her name for herself in theatre film and more recently in horror films Now, we recorded this interview a little while ago, and since then, April has gone public with the news that she's expecting a baby, which is due this April. Now, we are so happy for her and so pleased for her, and we really wish her nothing but the best with her pregnancy, and we know she's going to be an amazing mum. Exactly. Here, 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 here. So, yes, congratulations, April. Um, Also, as well, we just want to let the uh, the listeners know that on this show, there is a quick warning that we do discuss uh, some quite difficult adult themes during our conversation just making yourselves aware of that. So, with all that said, here is April Pearson. Hi April, thank you very much for joining us today. How are you first and foremost? I'm very well, thank you James. I'm glad you know us differently straight away. Oh, <laughs> so, I mean, I do, but your your names are also on the screen. <laughs> I was going to say the big name underneath doesn't help, or helps quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so, as... as um, as you probably know, our podcast calls Normal Not Normal, and it's kind of turned into celebrating all all of our differences and trying to work out what the word normal actually means. You played the character Michelle in Skin. So can you tell us how you got the part? Was it an open casting call? Did you have an agent at that point? Like, How, does, how did that all come around for you? I was in school doing a drama class, and the casting director, Jane Ripley, came to the school looking for posh girls to play like a posh schoolgirl character in the series. Um, And I went to an all-girls school in Bristol. And uh, we kind of sat round in like a, in a circle, the the girls that wanted to, you know, be looked at by Jane. And she just came round and like whispered in my ear, like, would you like to come to a a different casting for a different character? And I was like, okay. and so I think it was the next week I went to like a church hall in Bristol and I was quite early and I sat down outside on the step and a guy came and sat next to me and I didn't really know, like, I didn't know who he was. I had no idea. And I was like, I'm here auditioning for Michelle. And he was like, oh, right, cool. How do you feel about that? And we just had a chat for the whole time that I was early, basically. Anyway, it turned out that he was Adam Smith, who was the director of the second block of the first series. <laughs> and I feel like... 
because I'd been sort of like planted in his mind at the beginning of the day, he couldn't really see anybody else as Michelle. So I think for probably the only time in my life I've ever been early for anything because I'm terrible at faffing. <laughs> um, it really, it really worked. It really helped. Um, and the characters of Sid and Michelle are based on the the creators two children and so I think they wanted to cast those characters first and then and then yeah it was it was lots and lots of auditions with various different chemistry reads and different characters coming in and out so yeah oh, brilliant. so when it's so obviously when you actually got into the part and everything like that so do you remember when you realized that it was going to be a, a big deal or being or is it, is it a case of because you were obviously I suppose new to it was it a case that you just thought oh everything's every show is like this um, I think my my background, my parents were kind of in the industry. So my dad had worked on Casualty for about 13 years at that point. And so I had I, I knew what like a working set felt like and the amount of people that were around and like vaguely how it worked. Um, I certainly hadn't been like in a in a professional environment, so to speak, like as an adult, you know, as soon as you walk on that set, you're being paid to do a job. So I think that, like during the process, I was so kind of hell bent on being a professional adult working that I sort of didn't notice and didn't think about the people that would watch the show. And I think the moment the moment I realised it was going to be a big deal, I actually think the night it premiered on E4, and there were like. I wish I had a stat for you. I think it was millions of people watching a digital platform for the first time for a show, for a, for a, a digital platform like E4 that had never commissioned a series. They were showing reruns of Friends and, you know, other things coming in from America. The advertising campaign for the show was huge. It was us having a big house party and it was everywhere and it had, you know, the singers of the time doing, like, songs in it. it, it like, I guess the day that we launched the show and people watched it, and a lot of people watched it. I was like, okay, phew, <laughs> they like it. Yeah. <laughs> I can remember when. So then a lot of a lot of our age group were watching that anyway. And I, I still remember when, like you, when you talk about like the trailers kept coming on and the signs every, the billboards everywhere. I, it was a hot thing for everybody to watch. Going into the fashion of everything on it. So when basically, I, I can only relate to when we did the fourth film in Harry Potter. We had long hair, which we all quite liked, but the fashion as well was kind of inspired by the 70s, I think. So uh-huh. we had flares at one point. That was quite fun. Although, you know, your dad then looked and goes, oh, I had a pair of those. And it was like, right, these are, but <laughs> these isn't, are done after. Isn't that happening to you now, though? Like, it's genuinely happening to me now. Like, loads of my lovely Gen Z followers are being like, guys, you can wear a skirt that's actually shorts. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yes, we did that in in the noughties. Like we, that was a thing, yeah. you know. Members of Bewitched genuinely created a skort, guys, and they <laughs> now think it's score. yeah, skorts. You remember them? They're now thinking that it's a new thing, or like a crop top with baggy jeans. I'm like, do you guys know a lady called Britney Spears? Because <laughs> <laughs> she did that. I was actually going to say that. Um, I was actually going to say, obviously, how like you know, fashions cycle around and how like decades ago come back into style. But how does that how does that make you feel? Does that give you a sense of nostalgia or anything like that, or is it a case of where people talk to you about wearing that type of? Do you know, it's funny because I I've kind of recently explored the world of TikTok and 
it's so funny the things I get tagged in. And there was this one beautiful, lovely girl who tagged me in a thing where she, people kept telling her that she looked like me. And so she had like, she had a green screen on with pictures of me behind her. And she was like, I just don't get it because, you know, I like, yes, I'm wearing the clothes that look like Michelle from Skins, but like her hair is exactly like my mum's hair. And I was like, oh my God. You literally could be my child. Like that is, you know, and so I think is is it nostalgic or is it kind of just a marker of how actually long ago that kind of was for me? Yeah. I feel like I'm looking at those young people wearing those cool cool clothes and looking amazing and being like, hey, I couldn't do that anymore. And it's okay that I'm 32. It's okay. I got a, I can remember a couple of years ago, I got, well, no, a couple of years ago, a couple of weeks ago, I was just to the radio and then the Foo Fighters were playing. And afterwards, the DJ say, yes, bit of classic rock there. I was like, no, 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 no. Oh, wow. But going back to the fashion side of it, did you have a say in what you what your character wore or was it kind of the the um, costume guys decided that for you? It's weird. I I have such a selective memory with skins. I feel like so much of it is things that I remember from photos and like behind the scenes footage maybe because it was so long ago. I don't know if you guys have the same thing, but like in terms of the specifics of picking a wardrobe, I just feel like I was so, like I said, so up for being professional and saying yes to stuff and like, you know, not wanting to make a fuss because I didn't want to lose my job that even if the costume designer came up with an outfit that was like, a silver top with silver jeans and silver shoes, which I did wear. I never thought like to say, I don't like that. <laughs> but it's yeah. funny because now that particular outfit with a, it was a big pink plastic bow that I wore as a necklace, but it's now like an iconic outfit. So I guess you think like those people at the time, did they know what they were doing? Did I feel comfortable? No, but now I'm looking back on it, did, do I think I looked stupid? Mm, no. I mean, again, with like hair, for example, they decided to cut my hair. Obviously, you guys had to be redheads. So there was part of it that you knew going into your part, like, I'm going to be a redhead. Um, yeah. But in the second, during the, like, the, the prep for the second series of Skins, they went, we're just going to cut your hair, like, off. It was so short. I still feel like my hair is growing to this day because my hair is naturally very curly. And it was really, like, it was quite traumatic. I literally, It was just the makeup artist. She went, I'm going to cut your hair. I just cut it off. And then I went and sat on the dining bus and I was like, is this the worst day of my life up to this moment? <laughs> was there a reason for that or was it just this is happening? Um, I think they wanted my character to have a slightly different look. And also I was told by one of the producers that my forehead was too big, so I needed to have a fringe. Nice. Mm. <laughs> yeah, really good times. Yeah. Really good times. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I think that's a side of thing that some people kind of forget that sometimes you think that you're in control of what your character looks like or what your character wears or anything like that. Like, I think that was why, honestly, I'm, I always think that my theory why in the fourth Harry Potter film why so many people have got long hair is because there was quite a gap between the third and the fourth film. And you've got to remember, there's a lot of us guys who for the first like four or five years hadn't been told how to have their hair or hadn't had an idea how to cut their own hair yeah. or what style they wanted. So they were just like, yeah, I'll just leave it. Yeah. <laughs> just let it grow. 
Exactly. And I think also, I don't know whether it comes with experience or age or maybe both, but, you know, if you talk to any actor now, having no input in what your character looks like would be such an alien thing. It Like, mm. not having the experience of going down the path of, like, what would my character wear? How would they have their hair? Like, does my character wear makeup? What is that? Not having the actor involved in that feels really weird. And I don't know, maybe it was that we were children or that we were really young and therefore they had an idea of what it should be. But it does feel weird to me that certainly at the time they weren't asking the people who were the the age that they are if they would wear those things. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That makes complete sense. So I've seen there's been a bit of talk about uh, nowadays is intimacy coordinators for the more adult scenes Mm -hmm. in uh, film and TV. But... I know that recently you've opened up about the fact that they didn't really exist when you were, especially when Skins was being made. So do you think the series would be made differently now if it was if you guys were to be making it in 2021 as opposed to the early noughties? It would be completely different. What you would see on screen may be the same. It may be very similar, but you, what you would also see is however many actors are involved in the scene feeling comfortable, supported, looked after, um, and therefore you may get a better result on screen. And I always cite a quote from Paul Mescal, who was Connell in Normal People, um, and he was asked about intimacy coordinators and how he felt, you know, the, 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 the same old questions about what's it like doing a sex scene, is it awkward, all of those kind of things. And he said, uh, he was asked in, an, uh, I think, a magazine interview, how did you feel during the sex scenes and he said empowered and I just I nearly cried reading that because there is no there was no point throughout my experience that I would have ever used that word during a sex scene during an intimate scene during anything where I was taking my clothes off I that word would have never been close to my experience so in answer to your question yes it would have been very very different and I think the reason that we now have Intimate intimacy, it's a difficult one that intimacy oh, coordinators yeah. <laughs> um, is is the most fantastic thing ever. But I think the reason has come from experiences like mine. Yeah, thank you very much for uh, talking about that. I think I also goes like regardless of what line of work you're in, no one should go into work feeling un maybe unsafe is the wrong word, but you know uncomfortable. Mm. I think unsafe is a good word, actually. Like, it sounds quite scary to say unsafe, yeah, okay, but yeah. in, safe, safety encompasses yeah. all of those things. Comfort, you know, um, pride, shame. If you're not, if you're feeling unsafe, you're feeling uh, out of control in any way, then that is a, definitely, I think you can use that word in my experience. Um, and also, like I would say, it's not, it wasn't just skins. Um, you know, I, I can't, actually think of a good experience that I've had in a in an intimate scene I would say let me think if it's my whole career I've worked with my husband a few times so obviously that's quite different because um if I'm doing an intimate scene and he's he's a director and he's directing the scene obviously there's a very different level of um support and and control that I can have um but I'm trying to think outside of my work with him if I've ever really experienced that 
Also, it's probably because I haven't really worked in the last decade. So <laughs> that might be why. But, um, you know, even in the show that we did, Ollie, like, um, obviously yeah. there was no, there was no kind of intimate scenes, so so to speak. But, um, yeah, there's there's definitely, I still think there's a lack of, of um, just... HR, like the support that you would have well, yeah. in a normal business in- environment. Yeah, I was, I was going to get onto that a bit later, actually, about with that type of thing. But do you think it's it's to do with, do you think part of it, obviously, is you being female? And as you say, whereas like a male person would say, I feel empowered in that situation. Is that almost That's interesting. Around, I would... never thought about, I never thought about that Paul Mescal quote, whether he said that because he was male i i would love to think that daisy edgar jones who is his scene partner in all of those would would have said the same thing um yes yeah i should do some research into that i i think there's obviously a very very different experience um between sexes i think you know um often the male gaze has influenced so much of our culture and our visual culture up until now and therefore you know, how a sex scene is performed or how nudity is portrayed has often been through the eyes of a man. I do think that, you know, the fact that we're we're seeing... Am I allowed to say willies? Penises? <gasps> oh, my word. You can beep it. We're seeing we can, penises. We can use any word we want, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, just look at the first few series of Game of Thrones. Like, there were there were breasts and vaginas everywhere, but there wasn't, there wasn't a willy. Um... So I think, you know, that for me, it looks like the tides are turning through the kind of advent of female directors, female DOPs. I think that that certainly it, it will make a difference. And I, I can't obviously speak from a male perspective. I can only speak from mine. Um, mm. But I do think I do think that there are certainly in my experience with um, with skins. Let's talk about that, because um, that was the question you asked. I would say the boys um, probably felt just as weird, uncomfortable, yeah. yeah, unsupported. Yeah, I mean, in terms of like people listening now who are like wanting to get into the industry or acting themselves, like what would you would you suggest that there's anything what they can do in terms of protecting themselves in that instance? Or is it, it's hard. Is it more a case it's of, hard. Yeah, it's hard because I can totally see how you could be in a situation not want to do it but also equally not want to lose your job. Um, and I think, you know, I have had an experience where I was my own advocate and I was in the middle of a an intimate scene with a very, very well-known actor. And I was, was told to take my top off or my bra off during the scene by the director who was back in Video Village in the middle of, you know, nowhere. Um, and I didn't do it because my contract stated that I didn't have uh, to take... No. I, did, I had no full frontal nudity. They could see the top of my bum crack, and that was it. Um, and I said no, and he fired me on the spot. So I think when you have had an experience like that, it for me to want to kind of advocate for myself in the future, I would think, God, I need to be really sure that I'm okay to... Pre- to like, I'm prepared to lose this job. Um what I would say is, in that situation, I can't imagine now that no crew member would say, hang on a minute, that's not yeah. right. I feel yeah. like 
I would be supported in my environment, at least by the sound man who's in the room, you know, with the boom going, oh shit, what do I do? What do I do? Um, I'll just not mm. say anything. I feel like crew members now are so clued in, they're so keyed up to like, you know, spot things that aren't right. Um, and even if in that moment I couldn't kind of advocate for myself and, and be brave and say no, I think there would be the support there. So I think to, you know, if anyone who's wanting to get into the industry now and being put off by what I'm saying, I think don't be because it is changing. There are good things happening. There are positive people in the industry who you can work with. There are definitely plenty of people you don't want to work with. But if you get a feeling very early on that that person may be looking to exploit you or, you know, not be paying you enough to do something, then flag it before you get to that point, I would say. Yeah, right, I don't know how we go. <laughs> but, well, I know, I'm, sorry. I'm, 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 no, I'm blown away. I'm just blown away by it because, like, surely, like you say, the directors can say that, but then shouldn't, like, an aide, like, the first AD should know your contract yeah, or the producer should odd. know it. Like, do you know what I mean? Very so, odd. That whole thing was chaos. Growing up, you said that your your parents work in the industry, so it was always, like, what you knew. Um, so what was, what was it like growing up? Like, what was your average weekend, like a Sunday? What was that like for you? Well, they were completely tailored around mine and my sister's extracurricular activities. Like my parents had absolutely no weekend to themselves. It was carting us around from gymnast gymnastics to to ballet to drama. Um, you know, at, at one point I thought I was going to be an athlete as well. Like I literally was exposed to everything. I went to Millfield for a season to do like high jump and then I didn't do that and then I went I did go to the Royal Ballet School in Richmond Park for for a term and then I ate too many chips and had to leave so <laughs> so you know my childhood and my weekends were really geared around like enrichment stuff to the point where we had to eventually each each department each of those places was like we really need April to focus because if she's going to be an athlete she can't be a gymnast because your body just can't do both of those things. Or if she's going to be an yeah. actor, you know, all of those things. So, um, so yeah, I'm forever grateful for them to, you know, exposing us to all of those different worlds. And it felt like they would have been happy if we'd picked any of them. Yeah, yeah. No, God, what was the question? What did you do on a weekend? Okay. No, it sounds, okay. it sounds fantastic that you were exposed to that much, yeah. that much diversity. That's my point. Okay, things. that's my point. Good. Yeah, yeah. I did answer the question. <laughs> Great. Fast forward then a bit later on when you get into your teenage years, would you say your experiences on Skins playing playing the character in there, would that be your character in real life? Like, did that kind of merge into one in terms of, like, you go to a house party and someone would say, or, would, or you would perceive that, that notion of that is what teenage life is like? God, I was... I, I feel like Skins massively overplayed how cool teenagers yeah. are. Like... <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I have I've not. To be honest, when I saw the like, when I, when, I when I saw the first trailer, and I thought, I think I'd be killed if I did anything yeah. like that. Yeah, like <laughs> at a house party. I don't think I've met anyone of our generation who has been like, yeah, that was me. I was doing that all the time. Um, you know, I certainly when I was, I guess maybe before Skins, but I felt bad changing that weekend routine with my family I felt bad if I if I wanted to go out you know and often my mum would be like oh well I've got tea in and I'd be like but I want to go out out <laughs> and you know there was there were very often times when I felt that kind of 
you know, I guess it's the apron strings loosening, right? And, you know, you, you want to kind of go out and do things on your own. And, um, you know, if you imagine that's my family unit and then suddenly I'm on screen at house parties and doing, having food fights, no, it was worlds away from my personal experience of being a teenager. Good to hear. I, I mean, were you guys like, <laughs> you know... No, I was scared stiff. You, I'd be I'd be crucified if I did anything exactly. naughty like that and my parents found out, definitely. Well, I always yeah. remember going to... A, there was someone's house party and a shed blow, blew up. Oh, yeah, do you remember that? Kind of that's kind of... Remember that one, yeah. We didn't blow up the shed. We, we, didn't, didn't, blow we shed. didn't blow up the shed. We okay. didn't blow up the shed. It was a kind of a house party where a couple shed. of people were invited. Then the guy whose house it was, their pa- his parents were away and he's like, yeah, invite whoever. Then random people rock up. Then a fence panel gets put through. And then it's almost a case of where some people rock up and some people turn up and because it's not their space, they can just destroy it. So mm. you're kind of like... Can I, just, can I just say, <laughs> I personally would have been blamed for that shed blowing up. So many parents. <laughs> so Brilliant. many parents. It's that it's that skins that you're watching. It's skin, like every time. We'd have media, like literally we'd have media training about how to handle critics being like, you're causing all these skins parties and people are blowing up sheds you know it was that so yeah you're welcome <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a great excuse. i didn't even think about that as an excuse uh, so. it's, yeah it's what they do in skins your brain needs support and new ollie brainy chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I'm always um, curious about how actors go about their method and how they prepare for a part and all that kind of stuff. So first, two-part question. First of all, what's your way of preparing for a part? I love to kind of experiment with mental thoughts away from the script. If I like the script and I've read it and I identify with the character, it's a character that I'm excited to play, then I put the script to one side and I try and build a world before the script existed, meaning that when I pick the script back up and launch into playing that part, it's as fresh and as kind of in the moment as it can possibly be. I mm-hmm. I don't love poring over a script, getting loads of notes on it, unless it's obviously a, a text like a Shakespeare or something. I've never had the privilege of being able to work like that closely with a with a text that needs that um, that level of attention but um, if it's something that's modern and contemporary I feel like I am my best 
when I don't 100% learn the lines. And so I find the magic, especially when your scene partner is up for that, in the kind of the first time that character's thought about saying something, as long as you've done the work and you know who that person is and where they're likely to take the intonations and, and all of that stuff, I do think, you know, take one is where the magic happens and then you can kind of, you know, work with a director to drive various parts of the narrative after that I hope it doesn't sound like I I don't do any work I do but I just I hate and also I have a very very photographic memory so if you if you show me some sides um, which are the little small bits of script that um, you get on the day of a shoot or if you show me the script I can kind of photographically remember and therefore I don't need to be super close to the to the dialogue to kind of remember it if that makes sense Mm. yeah sure because mm. I, I think a fun thing is when especially when well for me anyway i haven't got a photographic memory so i'm i, I literally lock myself in the room until mm-hmm. i have learned all the like what i have to do but it's great when you you expect how the line back is going to be given by another actor and it's given in a different way yeah is that split set like, it's like a hundredth of a second we think oh i wasn't ready different. for that that's not how my own voice sounded when i was doing it with myself yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it leads you in another obviously the same text but it just leads it in a different avenue. That's always quite a Yeah. And a I fun, would say James like I'm it. sure that yes you're pouring over the script and you're getting your dialogue down but if someone gives you something like that you don't panic. You're not like well I haven't this no. is you know I feel like the mark of someone who's a really receptive actor is they you know yes they've they've learnt the text and they've got the how they would do it but if if a, if a curveball comes that great improvisation thing yes and Yeah. So well, that's that's why I've, that's why I pretty much learn it off by heart, back to front, front to back. Because then, if that were to happen, mm. you know roughly where to base it. The the next thing, if you might say, if it doesn't need to be word perfect for the the next thing, yeah. but that's not the fun way of doing it. But second part of the question. So recently, I saw you moved into the horror genre. Um, so tell us about that. What was the the Kindred premiere like, and all that kind of stuff? And can you tell us more about that movie? So The Kindred, um, I feel like uh, I've been around the block a few times with horror, actually, because it feels to me like if you're trying to get something financed, um, horror is a really safe bet. So there's a much, much better chance of of raising finance for a horror film than there is of a romantic comedy, for example. Although the times are changing a little bit now, but there's always a market for horror films. And so because low-budget indies seem to be what kind of comes my way nowadays, um, that's often what I get offered quite a lot. And so The Kindred was a script that was floating around at our production company. And originally it was with an American company. And the um, the character that I play in the film was originally going to be played by Mina Savari. And so um, I had always counted myself out of that production. I was like, cool, they need a name in the lead. That's fine. I'll just, you know, do the back office stuff and be involved however I can. Cut to October 2000, uh, a long time ago, the funding fell through and the rights came back to our company and we were like, okay, let's see if we can get this financed ourselves. And I really wanted to play the part. The script was great. It was um, a woman who was struggling with amnesia and and in, I was reading postpartum depression and I thought that was really interesting. I'd never played a mother before and I just thought I can... I can hold this film like I you know I I may not be a name but I can bring in actors around me who are 
um, incredibly well respected and I can match that. I can like, it just felt like a challenge and something that I was so chomping at the bit for. Um, and we did get it financed. We did, you know, the, the casting was incredible. I was doing scenes opposite James Cosmo and, and Robbie G and Samantha Bond, you know, real Steve Oram, like actors, British actors who've done some stuff. And I was in the scenes and I remember just thinking like, God, this is what it's meant to be. Like this is, you know, when you're doing it, it's the best bit, isn't it? When you're actually doing it. Mm. The fact that we were able to premiere at Fright Fest on the opening night in an IMAX and a super screen at the same time. Like, I don't think I'll ever get the kind of satisfaction from knowing that I was part of making that happen. We mentioned it earlier about we did a, I did a play together uh, a couple of years ago. So for me, it was my first experience on the stage in front of a paying public. Um, I mean, I only did what, three months. I did about 12, I think I did 12 weeks on on end, but you'd already been there since the first uh, the first part of the run, so like three months before or something. So total, we we yeah. did about nine months. Yeah, right. Yeah. So how did I mean? How did you? How was life on the road for you? Because um, for those of you who are, who are listening who aren't aware of it, like when you when you're doing a tour, you're literally in a new town or city from week to week. But in terms of like, what did you do? How did you find that whole that whole process of being away? Obviously, for so long on the road. Yeah. Obviously, like when when I did, it, I was lucky. It was in the summer. So I remember like when we were in Wales and we went to the beach when it was just glorious weather. That stretch of beach along the Welsh coastline is so beautiful. You could be you could be in the Caribbean. I mean it was yeah. I mean it was very hot. I remember when we walked back up brilliant. that beach, I had I yeah. I really needed the toilet and we went to like a public toilet and I looked at myself in the mirror and I was like, "Oh my god." I literally had sweat pouring down my face. Um how was it on tour? I remember it being I guess quite hard, actually. It was hard. Um, hmm. I did a lot of commuting. Um, th- luckily, a lot of the theatres towards the beginning of the tour were local to my hometown in the southeast. But then, again, before you got to us, we were up in... I can't even remember the name of it, but... Um, oh, I wish I could remember. It's a really cool city with a, a wonky spire. So it's got a... Uh, a, Chesterfield. a Chesterfield. 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 Were you with us at Chesterfield? No, but I know the story because the, the ancient history of it, they deemed that the, that the spire was built and the devil sat on it and that's why it twisted. Oh my God. Why do you know that's that? The, that's the folklore to it. I don't know. I'm full of random stuff. So Chesterfield. Anyway, Chesterfield, um, we, it, was, it was snowing. I was going to say pouring with snow. What is it when it's snowing? Snowing, snowing with snow. When it's like <laughs> it's really... Coming down, coming down thick. Dumping with snow. You get yeah, you get like you well you do you do you do get like a snow dump. Anyway, it was really heavy snow. Um and we had to cancel a couple of shows. And once you've sort of been around Chesterfield, you've you've been around it, really. Um and therefore we weren't even you know, we didn't have the show to kind of focus on. And we did we did end up in the pub very regularly. That was the place where you go to get away from the snow. So um, tell us about your podcast, uh, Are You Michelle from Skins? Thank you very much for having us on um, last... Thank you for coming on. Earlier this year, wasn't yeah. it? Um, we had a lot of good fun. So listen to it. It's really great. And like and subscribe, obviously. Um, tell us about it. 
God, I never say that stuff. You're such pros. I always forget. He never does. He never, ever says like and subscribe. He leaves that to me and then takes the mick because I am. For everybody else's stuff, I'm more than oh my I'm God. more than happy to uh, promote everybody else's, but my own stuff, I never I don't do. know if I've said that once in the whole time of having a podcast. Anyway, um, I need to start doing that more. Yes, like and subscribe to my <laughs> podcast, everyone. You've got to say it, though, in the way so you don't sound like those people that do that. Okay, Tell me more. You know, at the end of every video. Well, at the end of every any video, it's always like, it always starts with, hey, guys. And then at the end is, if you like this, like and subscribe. Okay. Yes. Like, okay. There's got to be a subtle way in. That's why I could just get Oliver to do it. And because he's more subtle or? Um, he's got less shame, I think. Right. <laughs> so he does do it like anyway, that. Link in bio. He, he does do it like that. Okay. Yeah, exactly. yeah, click here on the download yeah. and then subscribe so you never miss an, ex- an episode. Um, yeah. And then for some reason, everyone seems to talk like that. Yeah. And and make sure you, you talk about it in the comments below. Um. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> there we yeah. go. Okay, yeah, right here. smashed it. Anyway, April, sorry, on, sorry, my podcast. About, yes. um, yeah, back to the good, question. Good, yeah. good. My podcast, like and subscribe, um, is about... Uh, well, my experience of of being an actor and being associated with the one character that I um, am associated with. So um, I had, I mean, my husband had this idea about two years ago and I've always been too worried, embarrassed, shameful, whatever, um, talking about my experience publicly because I think there's, there is a bit of, I want to say, pride, I guess, that you that as an actor, you are only ever known as one thing. I think you want to be known as the full canon of your work and admitting that there's a a particular time in your life that sticks in people's minds more than others is it takes a bit of, you know, you you have to, you have to lower that pride, I guess, a little bit. And I just wondered if there were other people out there who had the same sort of experience as me and if they, they had, how had their story gone? And during the lockdown, I felt for the first time like there was a level playing field. I, no one was working, everyone was down tools, there were no productions happening. I wasn't the only one from Skins who hasn't got a BAFTA, um, you know. So it just felt like if I can't do it now, then I can't ever do it. And I had an, I had a platform with Instagram and I decided to start doing Instagram interviews. Everyone was doing Instagram lives. So I was like, what what can I add to this conversation? What kind of entertainment value can I bring to people's daily chaos of COVID-19? And I had in my mind some really key guests that I wanted to approach. And Danny Harmer, who played Tracy Beaker, plays Tracy Beaker, was one of my, I, I had her in my mind and I was like, I need to speak to her. And so I I DM'd her on Instagram and she said yes. And then I realised that people were amenable to being approached about that one time in their lives, that one character. Not necessarily actors. Um, I've interviewed people who have, uh, you know, appeared in games. And I suppose that is acting, of course. But um, I I think lots of creative professions, if you're an author, for example... You know, is E.L. James ever not going to be the author that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey? It's it's going to be that, you know, that that interview when you're on Graham Norton and it's Thursday, not Friday, and she sits down. Is he ever not going to ask about 
Fifty Shades of Grey. No. What's that like? Like, what's it like having someone constantly reminding you that you're Fred and George Weasley? Like, it's... I just felt like it was an interesting conversation. And for me, it really, really helped me with some of those demons that I've been carrying around for 15 years. And learning how other people cope with that helped me put those kind of things into practice in my own life. So it's sort of been a really expensive public therapy series for me, to be honest. Um, But uh, the, the greatest thing, obviously, is having people listen to it, identify with some of the things we've been talking about and normalising conversations as you guys do with normal, not normal. And I, I just think reaching an audience like that is probably the best thing I've done so far, mm. really. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, you said that because my, my follow-up was going to be, did you think that after speaking to everybody, it helped your your process looking back at what you've done. So Yeah, it's weird because um, so much of the the years since Skins for me were full of um, shame and embarrassment and um, jealousy of my castmates. I would always look at them succeeding and be, you know, and, and find it very difficult not to reflect that on my own success. And I think success has been something that I have really, really struggled with um, and comparing myself to my contemporaries, the people I came up with, has been, been, or rather not comparing myself to them, has been impossible because, you know, we all started in the same place. And Mm. some of them have won Oscars and some of them have been offered the most amazing work and some of them are parents. And, you know, so it's, I think for me, realizing that actually they've got their own shit going on as well yes maybe dan's won an oscar but he's also got a life and a family and all of that stuff and realizing that through talking to people on my podcast some of whom are some of my dearest friends some of whom are idols of mine some of whom are people that i never thought would say yes and i'm in the process of canvassing for guests for my second series and there are some guests who I'm getting to speak to who, who I can't believe have agreed. Go on, give us a, give us a hint. Um, I'm interview tomorrow I'm interviewing um, <laughs> Nikki Blonsky, who played Tracy Turnblad in the Hairspray musical. Like, I love Hairspray so much and <laughs> I can't believe she said yes, but but, you know, if I said her name to you, you wouldn't know who she was necessarily. But if I said Tracy Turnblad in Hairspray, you go, oh, yeah, mm. her. Um, mm. And yeah, you know, obviously now um, my my new experience with TikTok, there's a whole new level of people being associated with that. And I've got two TikTokers who are coming on the, the podcast um, and speaking to them about how, how young they are and how suddenly overnight they've gone viral. And, you know, yeah, are you which always... Be, which can be quite... I suppose it can be quite a dangerous space for them. Totally, totally. That instant exposure and then chasing, I was going to say chasing the dragon, but I suppose that's it, isn't it? Always trying to get that next mm. success. Mm. Is, it, exactly. is it achievable, is it not? Yeah, especially when you went viral because you ate a, a jar of pickled garlic. <laughs> 
Where'd you, you know, where'd you, where, where, where'd you go from there? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. The world is a strange new place and I want to have those conversations. So, so yeah, it's helped me no end. Have you found that from finishing the first season, as you say, to doing the new season, that your interview method has changed, but almost your your receptiveness to what they're saying, is that, has that changed as well? Because you've, do you feel like you've gone on a, on a, a long journey with the first one, as you say, very publicly therapy type thing? But do you find that you're in a better place now talking about it on the That's second interesting. season? That's um, interesting. Do you know what? I think I was given so much by my guests in the first series and um, I was disappointed actually that some of my guests, some of my colleagues from Skins, when they talked about their Skins experience, that was kind of picked up by the press as this sort of salacious gossip. And, you know, my podcast had tremendous exposure, but it wasn't my narrative. Again, yet again, I was being portrayed in the media as someone who was exposing a scandal when actually I was talking very frankly and honestly with guests about my experience and they were also reciprocating. So in a way, I feel slightly more guarded this series because I need to think about the fact that my guests are exposing their, you know, insecurities perhaps or things that in their their experience that they weren't happy about. And, and those things may end up in the world news so i think whereas before i was you know full of the the joy of life and oh my god i'm doing it and people are listening and this is happening i feel like this series i'm i guess a bit more street smart yeah i think i think yeah series two is going to be very exciting no fantastic well that's good i'm really glad to hear it's all going all on its way there but in terms of like working with with other people as well like you say talking to new people and everything like that and also how your husband had the idea about doing the podcast originally can you tell us about obviously not just on the podcast but obviously working with your husband on a few different things um how is how is that to do because obviously not everyone could deal with working with their significant other that's so interesting (laughs) how do you find how do you find that um in doing so does that does that carry on at home as well like is there like a right you finish not five o'clock so we're finishing now or does that just keep going general chat over the dinner table, um i mean we're a really great team first and foremost like we are i think we inspire each other every day because if i'm having a day creatively where i'm like i've got no ideas he's always do, he's doing something he's writing a new script he's me- meeting someone he's making a connection with someone so i look at him and i'm like Oh, well, I probably should do something then, you know, and and vice versa. If I'm kind of flying with one of my projects and he's kind of playing FIFA, it's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't do this. So we certainly inspire each other every day. I think we we have a really good working relationship and that's how we met. Actually, we were working together. So I think that's kind of carried on throughout the work that we do. I do think you're right. There is there is a very difficult balance between work and not work and for a long time we we didn't have that balance right and we're still now trying to kind of moderate how much work happens in you know in in any given week versus how much time we get to spend like quality time together without talking about work but like I guess you you know when you're in this industry and you're watching a film and you're you've had experience of producing or, or working behind the scenes in any way or being an actor, you can't help but be like, God, I wonder how much they paid for that location. Or, you know, <laughs> yeah. God, how did this thing get financed? Like, is it, you know, it's very difficult to, to turn 
your working brain yeah. off, especially when the person that you're at home with is someone who's in the industry as well. So um, mm. we're, we are definitely working really hard to kind of bring those two things into alignment. But we, lo- we actually love working together. And so far, it's been good. I like to think of us as the Emily Blunt and John Krasinski of England. <laughs> very good. Very good. Very it's good. Slightly, slightly less successful, but only slightly. Only slightly. Yeah. Only slightly. Well, in terms, in terms of that, as I say, like that being your normality, what does normal mean to you? Oh, I was asked this in by your producer, and I don't know. That is that is still a valid answer. It's interesting because I never think that's a good enough answer. And then I was auditioning for not auditioning, see, there you go. I was interviewing for a non-acting position and I'd never done an an interview before in my life. This was probably a couple of years ago. And interviews, real interviews, not auditions, have like a set of rules and guidelines and you have Mm -hmm. to say things. And if you don't say the thing, then you don't get the point and you don't get the job. Whereas in an audition, you just, you're like, oh, I've slightly fluffed that line. Can I do it again? And they're like, yeah, okay. Or vice versa. They're like, could you just do that a bit differently? In a normal interview, they don't give you that option. So shockingly, I didn't get the job. Tell us your worst trait. Exactly. Yeah. Can you think of a time when you problem solved? You're like, <laughs> I problem solved to just get to this interview um, because, yeah, exactly. you know, the, the bus wasn't running or whatever. Um, and a mentor of mine said, if you don't know the answer, just say, I don't know the answer. And I was like, what? What? You can say yeah. that you don't know the answer in a yeah. to another person? And I suppose maybe that's what normal means to me, that it's not normal, that you can not know, that you can, I don't know. There isn't a normal, is there? Yeah, well, yeah, this is what we're trying to figure out. Is it societal? Like, is that what we're saying? No, but it's, it's good to know that that's, every, like, it's, that's what's interesting when we ask these is that some people just go straight with my normal is this. And like yourself, some other people have said Listen, that Listen, I'm an Aquarius. I'm know, never so. going to know anything, really. But certainly, I'm not going to be able to give you a straight answer. It's always right. going to be <laughs> from the waters of the Aquarian brain. Um, it will be deep and very troubling. <laughs> so what what is the most normal thing about you, then? Um, that when I sweat, I smell. Cool. I wasn't expecting that. yeah do you know why i'm saying that now because it's happening right now this very second yeah yeah i'm wearing quite a plastic quite a plastic jacket i'm in an attic there's no air i'll tell you i'll tell you what april body odor aside what would you say is the least normal thing about you the least normal thing about me that i'm me how do you mean well, there's no other me, is there? No. So. Very good. I'll tell you what, that is a that is a Trump answer, that isn't it? That is, yeah. That is good. I guess you guys That's are good, close. Trump. You're close to having another you, but you're not. You know, you're not the same. Finally, I always I always end on a kind of quick fire five questions. We call them the three a.m. questions because your favourite answer will come actually at three a.m. when you think, oh, I should have said that. Okay. okay. I'm gonna. This is gonna ruin my whole day. But okay, let's go. Okay. What is your favourite food? Pasta. That is true. Whew. <laughs> what is your favourite book? 
Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman. Your favourite song? Oh, God. Um, Evergreen by Yebba. Your favourite film? Gladiator. And your favourite quote? Never regret anything that made you smile. Very good. Very good. Very good. Oh, that was fun. I really loved that. Have you got any more? (laughs) Quick fire, think of another one. A quick fire, think of another one. Um, What is your favourite planet? Uranus. Did you, did you know, right? It was it wasn't actually going to be called Uranus originally. Oh, yes, I told Ollie, you. This. What fact yeah, is? You oh, okay. This was a fact. James, that you, I'm, James I'm, I'm trying. To, I'm trying to jump in on a fact because James comes up with all these random did you know facts. And last season he's got well before last season he got really into his astrology, and then came. Oh, sorry, is it is it astrology? Astronomy. 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 And he, uh, yeah, he came out with this random one that apparently was going to be called George. Oh, I don't know whether you're taking the piss out of me, Ollie, because that honestly, can't honestly, be right. Honestly, James, am no, I right? Because, yes, because when it was discovered, the guy who discovered it in, I think he was in Bath, actually. It's not far away from Bristol. Wow. Um, he, he wanted to name it after the king. And then, and then went obviously, for... the rest of the world, well, a lot of the rest of the world didn't want an English king, a planet named after an English king. Fair. So eventually they compromise on the order which the planets go in. So you got Mercury to start with. Mother was Venus. Venus's father was Mars. Mars's father was Jupiter. Jupiter's father was Saturn. Saturn's father was, in Greek mythology, Uranus. Wow. So there you are. I'm glad we went back over that because that was worth it. <laughs> yeah. That really was worth it. If you take anything from today, you can take that. Yeah. Anyway. April, thank you again so much for joining us today. I really, really thank enjoyed it. Thank you for having it. me, guys. Oliver has always said really nice things about you from your, your time when you guys were working together as well. So it's great to hang out again. So thank you so much. Thank you. Cool. All the best, mate. Once again, April, thank you so much for joining us on the Normal Not Normal podcast. I know we've been talking about it for a while, so it was great to be able to have you on. Very much, and hearing how she was cast for Skins at school, that obviously reminded me of when we were at a similar age when we got into the Potters. Yeah, I mean, one thing that I was surprised with, actually, that she alluded to, is that she thought I was very sarcastic. No, no. I never, I never, I never thought I gave that impression off at all. Didn't she? <laughs> I was being serious. I was being oh, serious. Okay. I yeah, say. yeah. But anyway, but uh, anyway, look, uh, James. Do you have any? Did you knows this week? I do. I have one. So last week we had uh, Danielle giving her. I'm thinking about it. It's kind of a morbid one, isn't it? Like the extinct bird extinction in New Zealand. <laughs> but I've I've found this one. So it's not about extinction at all. It's about a bird. Everyone knows this bird, the woodpecker. Mm-hmm. Very cool little uh, little chap and chapette. So. You, whenever I hear that, I always think, why do they peck wood? Like, what, why are they doing that? And so I learned there are no, at least five known reasons for this. And there are some hidden did you knows in the answers. Okay. So number one, they peck to find food. Mm-hmm. So you know how uh, if a bird's flying over the sea and it sees a fish, it'll go and get the fish. If a woodpecker sees ants or other insects on a tree, it'll start to peck in order to get them out. Okay. Two. Pecking allows the woodpecker to build their nest, so making a hole in the wood, and that can be their future home. Three, for communicating. (laughs) So they're not actually vocal birds, because have you ever heard a woodpecker sing? Nope, neither have I. 
So what they do is they drum on the tree and they make a tapping sounds. And this works in two ways. One, it helps scares off predators and rivals, but it also attracts mates. No way. Four, it's marking their territory. A bit like if you move into a house, you make it so it looks like your own. Mm-hmm. And five, the most important one, because they can. Not many other birds can pet like a woodpecker. And unlike pretty much every other bird, a woodpecker has an incredibly strong neck and its beak is really, really strong, which enables them to peck wood continuously without hurting themselves. And they can peck up to 10,000 times a day. I mean, that's insane, isn't it? Exactly. In fact, they are so well adapted to how they move and they don't injure themselves. Crash helmets have actually been designed to mimic the woodpecker, woodpecker's skull so it protects their brain on impact. There you go. There you go. So We're next time just... you see a woodpecker, don't just think... <laughs> <laughs> Give us a song. No, I'm a drummer. Anyway, thank you, James, for that one there. Um, yeah, that was uh, very, very informative. There you go. That's, that's insane. Fine. Did you know? That's notice? insane. Am I right in saying, you know, when we were talking about like making a note, like to communicate. Can we yes. the old Nokia text message theme? Yep. Is that, am I right in saying that is Morse code for SOS? No, it's Morse code for SMS. Ah. Beep, 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 beep. There you go. Because I think, I may be wrong in this, but I'm pretty, and someone can correct us. I think that SOS is beep, 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 beep. If yes. you're under a certain age, you're going to have no say, idea what we are talking about. Probably what even is an SMS. There we are. Anyway, thank you so much for listening this week. And if you yourself have any interesting facts, stories or questions, please write to the normal address. We love reading them and we try and get them out as much as we can. And that address is normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. That's normalnotnormalpodcast at gmail.com. Please include your name, where you're from. And any other information about yourself. Exactly. And that can also be a voice or video note as well. It doesn't have to be a text message or anything. We just love the participation uh, from you guys. So thank you so much for yeah being involved in this. And also, if you've enjoyed today's episode or any of the others, just remember to like, to subscribe so you don't miss any others. And also leave us a nice little review. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Normal Not Normal podcast. But for now, I've been Oliver Phelps. I've been James Phelps. I'm off to go and find a woodpecker now and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Normal Not Normal is a stable production.